0: Hey, cis! From coast to coast, we're bridging the gap between the cisgender and transgender community, creating meaningful dialogue and space to learn and grow.
1: Join us as we connect with our community, break down tough conversations, and get comfortable being better humans.
2: Traveling is a very vulnerable time. Mm -hmm. And it really is when those, those parts of your life that make things harder, and those parts of your life that make things easier really start showing up, they, they really become clear.
1: So today on Hey Sis, Isaac and I are super excited to have one of our very own joining us, Emma Stanley, who is Hello. Ah, very excited to have you here, Emma. Emma's been working with Simply Good Form since fall of 2021, and now she is taking her show on the road and going to be working with us from another part of the globe, and we are here to talk about travel, uh, traveling, what, you know, what it's like if you are a member of the trans community, the non-binary community, uh, what barriers exist? What do you have to think about that uh, the average cis traveler just never has to think about? And with your vast experience in the past and this upcoming trip, we're excited to hear um, some of your thoughts on that, Emma.
2: When you start traveling, um, or at least when I did, I have never gotten such an immediate education on intersectionality in my life. like the, the way that the pieces of your life connect to make this a more difficult or less difficult process becomes immediately apparent. I'm Canadian and that's huge. Just the fact that I am from this country uh, makes people more likely to trust me in airports. And I have a story uh, for you that really, it, it sort of, the story that I use when I want to try and give people a really perfect example of how intersectionality affects us. Um, When I was working in Thailand, I worked with uh, a a trans woman. She's awesome. Um, And because it's important to the context of the story, I need to say that this woman is um, well-educated. She's Makes a, a very reasonable wage. She's, for lack of a better word, she's middle class. Um, she works two jobs. She has identification for those jobs. Uh, so this is a well-established working person. Um, she has class privilege. Um, she, and 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 I was surprised. Well, I'll tell you the story. So. She's Thai and trans and she goes to Hong Kong. She's going for the weekend with her mother. So she is traveling with her mom. And that's important because when she got there, they immediately clock her for being trans. um, Because in Thailand, you are never allowed to change your identification, as far as I'm aware. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly, she hadn't been able to until that point. And of course, it it very clearly didn't match her. She is not androgynous. And uh, because she was Thai and trans, they held her for 12 hours of her 48 on the suspicion that she was a sex worker. They assumed that every trans woman from Thailand uh, must be a sex worker. And I cannot really articulate how angry that makes me. Um, she was traveling with her mom. <laughs> like, who does? who, What? <laughs> And apparently this is this is just something that happens. I don't know how common it is. I don't know if a border guard was just having a bad day. And honestly, that makes it kind of more scary. It's not something that you can foresee and plan around. It's not something that you can uh, absorb into the lens through which you see uh, the world the way you can with, with fixed things like like laws. I can say, i should not go to saudi arabia um that's that's easy but when it's random and 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 dependent on people's mood that day mm. their beliefs their personal bias it is amazing how much trouble you can get into uh with virtually no oversight in these places traveling is a very vulnerable time mm. and it really is when those those parts of your life that make things harder and those parts of your life that make things easier really start showing up, they, they really become clear.
1: It's about, you know, your human rights and um, like I have a a family member who uh, was offered as part of their career job to be able to go um, to India to actually they worked at the time with IKEA and to help open a store in IKEA and because they're a member of the LGBTQ2 plus community. They opted out of that, and it would have been a great position, um, a great opportunity. But they just, you know, just didn't feel safe, you know, being there for the X amount of months or year that it was going to take to be able to to execute that job. So that's, you know, another limiting, you know, barrier when you see, you know, not having the same human rights worldwide for trans and non-binary people. Mm -hmm. Well, and again,
2: being Caucasian is is a privileged status but not as much as being a local. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're going to be a foreigner, it's best to be white, but you're still a foreigner. And that still means you get a little more attention. You get um, people looking at your documents very closely. And so while India has an enormous uh, LGBTQ population, uh, they don't all have to go through airports. They don't have to get the extra um, attention or that you get when you are, uh, coming in from another country.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a, there's another level of that too. And you, you referenced this before Emma, um, the fact of being like Canadian too, has a, has a different sense of security when traveling. I mean, of course, depending on, on where you're going. Um, but, uh, I always find, um, you know, it's been, it's been, I think most people are in a similar boat, but it's been a while since most folks have traveled. But last time I traveled, you know, um, i there was like Americans that would have like Canadian flags on yeah. their on their like yeah. on their luggage and just to try and like pass as Canadians and as a Canadian foreigner traveling because there's that sense of you know like Canadians are good like we're nice I mean that can be debated (laughs) on a good day. (laughs) We
2: don't carry guns most of the time.
0: Most of the time um but yeah like it's there's that a whole other sense too of like not only what you look like but where you're coming from and even you know there's even so, so much of a difference between Canada and the United States as a foreigner that a lot of folks who aren't part of these two countries wouldn't wouldn't kind of suspect or experience. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well even as this person, my, my husband has a Irish passport and he's Irish. And then he has a Canadian one now because we're living here now. And then I have an Irish one and the kids have an Irish one because they were all born there. And when we would travel, he would always uh, prefer to use the Canadian one, even though the Irish are also seen as being quite friendly and, and good travelers. But um, our, our young, like our, one of our, uh, one of our kids, uh, though, who is trans, um, their Irish passport now is not aligned at all with their gender identity or their gender marker because we can't change their Irish one until they are Sixteen, You have to say that, you know, prove you've lived as your identity for a number of years. I think it's maybe three to five years, but you also have to go to court in Ireland to do that. And so they're Irish they're kind of like not even existent as a person anymore in the country that they were born. Whereas here we were able to update their gender marker and update their name on the Canadian passport, um, which is great because then they'll be actually be able to use that when they get a driver's license. For that to align, otherwise they wouldn't be able to. Yeah. There's a lot of complications around, um, you know, that barrier to be able to align your documentation. And that you should share your funny story, Emma, about um, when you got your your fabulous
2: documents in the na- in the mail. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I. Um, <laughs> so I change. I'm not afraid of my dead name. It doesn't bother me particularly. I used to be a Sean, and now I'm an Emma. And I have been working for like a year now to get that switched over. It's surprisingly difficult. It largely has to do with you have to stay put for three months to count as a residence to then apply for a name change. And I am terrible at staying put. So I finally get the application done. I send it in, it's been three months and I get my my certificate is in the mail. And this is the document that I will use to change every other document. It's the proof that this, this person who used to be named this is now called called Emma. And it's addressed <laughs> to Sean Stanley. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> is I sort of sat around with my parents like contemplating this reality that we live in for a few minutes. Then we opened it and threw the envelope away and had a drink and it was fine, but it was just like, really, must you? Yeah, that's the Passport
1: office. <laughs> yeah, consistency, yeah. uh, please, people. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah,
0: it. no, and it's just, it's just like bare minimum, people. Like, like bare minimum. <laughs> 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 and the funny thing is, is especially if you did get your name changed in order f- for them to like have your old name like all of the records should have been updated by the yeah, time they printed yeah, it unless absolutely. they I mean, printed the sticker it might
2: have been illegal for me to open that envelope yeah i'm
0: yeah like they would have had to like print a sticker put it on the envelope and then process your name change and then print those documents stick it in the envelope and mail it like it's just yeah. i mm, mm-hmm. bare but minimum people
2: interesting It is a really interesting thing. I I find the part that fascinates me about inclusion training and about actually what we do at Simply Good Form is systemic changes. So it is awesome when, for example, my employer is really good about using my name and being really cool about my queerness and all of these things, It's, it's wonderful, but Does the computer agree with them is always a really interesting question to ask. I was working for a company that um, the computer did not agree with them at all. And though the staff were amazing, my boss was amazing. Like everyone was very, very cool. Um, My dead name was on the schedule. My dead name was on my employee discount card, which I had to use. And then when I beeped it, it came up in great big letters on the computer screen that you could read anywhere um, and in fact the first time I used it the uh the guy who was helping me buy some things was like oh uh it, something's gone wrong with your card don't worry about it I'll, I'll just oh, isn't that funny it's it's the wrong identity and I had to come out to my entire uh workplace sort of uh, at the end of a shift on a random day uh, <sighs> which was like again for me um this isn't something that bothers me I'm lucky that way, I'm kind of an oversharer. And I I think being trans is really cool, but not everybody does, nor should everybody have to have that kind of personality to to be this. And uh, yeah, so with the Canadian government, their systems aren't linked. They don't just update one system at a time and they have really good reasons for it. It's privacy. It's so that your information doesn't get disseminated through every single thing. So someone who has your uh, information at Revenue Canada can't go sneaking through your medical files.
1: Okay, um, interesting. Those systems
2: aren't linked. I've been in countries where they are, it's super, super efficient, but it does create a certain amount of, of security risks regarding privacy of information. So there is a balance for, to be to be kept there. But you would think that names, given that they're attached to social insurance numbers, would be pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: you would hope. Because mm-hmm. I was, I was going to say, I, it's been quite a few years since I changed my name. But I remember I had to go to uh, Access Canada to get my, or what is it, um, Vital Statistics, that's where you get your name changed. And then you had to go to Access Nova Scotia. And then you had to go to Service Canada to get your SIN number changed. Then you had to go to the bank. You had to go to the passport. Anyways, I think like all in all, the the application process was maybe 100, 200 bucks to get a new birth certificate. But the most expensive part is getting all of your damn licenses changed. Yeah. And getting it a takes a while your degree, getting your marriage yeah.
2: certificate reprinted, getting everything, every yeah. piece of education I've ever had to do. I'm, I'm contacting companies around the planet now, hoping that they will reprint my certificates, but yeah. there's no guarantee.
0: Yeah. But, and when you have to have that conversation too, you have to be like, okay, well, this is my old name. This is my new name. And sometimes yeah. they're like, I need to know why oh, <laughs> yeah. my job to, references like, are all out shot. To them. yeah. <laughs>
2: I can't contact my, my my dean from the Middle East with oh. this, so I I just can't use that reference anymore. Which is, I mean, I in mean, a pretty specific situation where I've I've been traveling all around. So it it does it's not Canada's fault, but it does make for a really tricky situations sometimes. And it's just these little weird things and and interactions with paperwork and with large scale systems Very- that, that being trends makes more difficult yeah
1: absolutely absolutely you'd think some of that would be subsidized as well because you know you think it would be under the umbrella of like okay this was an error by the way that we used to as being binary and we should own that there shouldn't be a cost to fix it um the human rights but i we're at that point right now where we have to go to service canada i guess to get um the sin number updated Uh, um you know because they are applying for their first job and I asked them I said you know like how do you feel about that and they're actually okay but I just thought you know you say that but you don't know the impact it might have if you you know so but apparently I think we have to come up with all the documentation and maybe it's because they were born in Ireland but all the documentation we went through originally when we did the name change and I have it, but we've moved, and I have no idea where it is. Anyway, it's like going through and old paperwork. Uh, the passport should be so good. It's, it's not.
2: <laughs> it's it's a really interesting because um, as more people are starting to transition younger, and and they're starting to insist on on having documents that actually match them. Um, I this information is not current I need to qualify that this is when I very first looked into transitioning that was probably a decade ago now but when I did a bunch of European countries uh wouldn't uh change your documentation they wouldn't officially declare you trans until you were sterile
1: yeah you had on affirming so
2: exactly yeah
1: if you never wanted to do that then you could never
2: You know, and if you weren't able yet because you're 16 or because you're 12, Mm -hmm. uh, you just have to wait for a decade and then get on a wait list for surgery, not to mention being forced to do surgery just to have your ID match you. It's ridiculous. I wrote it down. Luckily, I was kind of prepared for this because I wrote sort of a blog entry um, that was this a few days ago so it did get me thinking about um like the intersectionality angle of it especially is just wild and you really really notice because where you're from affects your passport and your passport Mm -hmm. like being a queer canadian is entirely different than being a queer south african because their passports suck they can't go anywhere easily Mm -hmm. even though like you're talking about a white well-educated english-speaking um person traveling out of South Africa will have infinitely more difficulty than me. Um, Geez, I didn't even think of that one. Um, A a story, this is a a couple that I know from way back. Uh, I worked with them in Korea. They wanted to go to their American friend's wedding and they had to apply six months before they went and they were under suspicion the entire time they were there that they were going to try and stay. These are two university professors, (laughs) but because their passport is South African, it it is assumed that they are a flight risk all the time. And there's your your, your straight, white, cis, middle-class, English-speaking, educated, good salary, doesn't matter.
0: It, and it's crazy, too, because people at the border hold so much bias towards like specific countries. and i and i f- I think there's benefits to watching the news, but I think there's also major uh, <laughs> negatives yeah. to it is that you get that so awesome. fueled by what's happening in the world that you lose that connection with like there's actual people that live there that don't <laughs> share the same values as, you know, South Africa's there's nothing. Super crazy, controversial happening over there, but there's many other spots that there are people that I think Russia is a prime example, actually, that everything happening over there, you can't associate what's happening through the government to their Mm -hmm. population, but people do. And that really gets put in the forefront when you're traveling.
1: So this question came up from a parent that has a trans child, young, um, and so they're under 10 and they also have a younger sibling and they're going to be driving over the border. So from Canada into the US and they asked this question. So because, you know, it's fair to say many parents of, of trans youth. You know, if you're if you're transitioning young, all that really you know is happens is your hair, your your name, mm-hmm. you know, and then your clothing, right? So, um, you don't necessarily have to rush out and do these big name changes necessarily. So they they haven't done it, and they were worried about what might happen when they go over the border if they have to show ID. They don't look like the name. What do they do? What? And I was interesting because our 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 thoughts on that differed greatly, Emma. Cause I thought, well, I went with the honesty is the best, you know, you should, you know, maybe be honest <laughs> yeah. there because also I thought, well, what if the younger one goes, no, that's not their real name, you know, cause young kids. Have been, yeah. Um, yeah. But you had said maybe you no, know, like uh, you're that, that boy moding, like maybe just put the cap on, maybe just wear the sort of gen neutral clothes and just get it, get it on through. What
2: do you yeah. Yeah my personal approach is to always assume that someone's having a bad day um that's me i also carry five pieces of identification when i travel i am modestly paranoid and i accept that but yeah i tend to just try and not be noticed um we'll see
0: yeah i think i think it's I think there's great benefits for planning for the worst case scenario especially if you're traveling traveling with a trans youth who might not legally be able to advocate for themselves um or for instance you know i mentioned i might have mentioned this earlier but with everything like happening in the southern states you know like parents are literally getting criminalized and are sentenced to jail for having trans youth Mm -hmm. i think you know Knock on wood. To my knowledge, it's none of the the bordering states of of the United States that do that. So hopefully, driving into the the country will be easier. But I know a, a huge spot um, for many layovers layovers, especially folks going down south, is Houston in Texas. So mm-hmm. anyone flying with trans youth right now really needs to be more cautious about where they're picking their layovers and to be aware. Yeah. Like
1: That's-
0: I'm, I have an individual coming with me and traveling with me and I'm their primary caregiver and I need to be prepared if something happens. And And I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it paranoid by any means. I think it's realistic at this point.
2: Mm. Well, and it's so difficult with children because once they reach an age where you can say, I need you to put a hat on Mm -hmm. and they can more better understand why they might need to hide who they are on a given day, then that's going to be a little bit easier, even if it's a bit soul crushing, I'm sure to ask that of your kid. But when they're still at an age where they aren't going to understand why they might need to hide that, um, I cannot imagine having to explain that you have to hide who you are to a kid. That would be that would be tough.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's important, I think, to have those conversations early and to set that expectation and, you know, definitely don't go into the, you know, if, if you don't do this, like X, Y, Z is going to happen, yeah. but definitely to but, be realistic about, you know, like, you know, you need to do this because, you know, I need to keep you safe and this is for yeah. your safety. And, I mean, as I
2: understand it, 90% of parenting is how do I keep my kids safe without traumatizing yeah. them?
0: but. Uh, Yeah, yeah, easier said than done
2: (laughs) (laughs) you don't
1: want them to realize that you know like for young kids that are like they they don't you know you don't want them to be exposed to that kind of idea that there are people out there that you know might hurt you or or are you know just have negative feelings i don't even like using the words i'm uncomfortable using the words but as a parent, Um, and I was thinking like, so if you're traveling across the border in Canada in other provinces, are we fairly safe with the states that align with the border? Or I was looking up in like Montana, for example, here, it just came out April 22nd, just a couple of days ago that a Montana judge, it goes to what you were saying, Isaac, um, just temporarily blocked the enforcement of a law requiring trans people to have undergone a surgical procedure before being allowed to change their sex on their birth certificate that's like four days ago. Um, And which is, I mean, that's positive, but I wasn't sure if that particular state was maybe mm, uh, there was a couple up there in sort of the Northern part that was kind of in line with sort of Texas ideology as well. That was very sort of Mm anti-trans youth. And so, you know, it's something that, yeah, you need to do your research. You should always check in, you know, with the Canadian you know, the Canadian website that you were talking about, we could put a link uh in the show notes to to that as well. Yeah, yeah.
3: absolutely. And I,
0: and I think it's important too to look state by state and to really recognize, like, who's traveling with you, regardless if it's a trans individual. It could be in someone who's Black. It could be someone who's Indigenous. It could be someone who's biracial, disabled, anything like that. I think people need to be more aware of... W- I don't want to say like what they're bringing to the border, but like who they are when they reach the border and what the the possibilities of discrimination are to at least have a game plan in mind so that the worst case scenario doesn't happen. Be prepared. Yeah.
1: Well, on the topic of travel, I wanted to take it local and connect with Veronica Landry of Bootprint Hiking Tours. Veronica is offering a, an LGBTQ specific hiking package this summer on the tail end of Halifax Pride Festival, which will take place around Cape Breton over a period of six days and five nights. We first met Veronica at Simply Good Form last September when she came to us looking to learn how to be more inclusive and to be sure that she's offering inclusive tourism packages and being inclusive about her language. Veronica had already taken steps to become rainbow registered through the nationally run organization, the CGLCC, but she wanted to take it even further and had talked about back then organizing this tour. So I wanted to ask her a few questions on how it's shaping up, what it looks like, and if you're interested, how you can get more information on joining this cool tour pack that is going to be taking place at the end of July this summer.
3: So I have lots of guided hikes planned this summer. Some of them are private that people have contacted me, and some of them are on a preset schedule. I've designated our July Cape Breton tour to be an LGBTQ tour. Um... And where will that go in Cape Breton? That goes around the Cabot Trail. And
1: we do lots of hikes in the Cape Breton Highlands National Park. Nice. And what are the dates for that, uh, that tour in July? It's July 24th to 29th. 24th to the 29th so we timed
3: it to be after the pride festival the Halifax pride festival or it's I think it basically even starts on maybe the Sunday of the last day so you come to the pride festival and enjoy some of the activities and then go on a hiking tour with me
1: that sounds wonderful and why was it important for you then to have a specific tour that was dedicated for the lgbtq two plus community
3: well after um Speaking with you last year and learning, uh, I've learned that it's important that they have a safe space, that a lot of times they don't feel safe. And my tours, I want to be welcoming. And the best part of doing my tours is the satisfaction I get seeing people discover new things and making them happy. And they can't be happy if they're trying to pretend to be someone who they're not.
1: I love that. So this tour is going to be like a safe space where anyone can show up and be accepted for who they are and just get out in nature. Right. Is it an advanced kind of hike or like an intermediate level or is it something everybody could take part in? This, the Cape Breton... It
3: depends on where you're from, because if you're from B.C. and you're used to hiking the mountains in B.C., then you're going to find this a walk in the park. If you're from somewhere flat, then you'll probably find it a little bit challenging because there are large hills in Cape Breton. I call them mountains. They're my mountains, but they won't be mountains to somebody from B.C.,
1: Right. Okay. And so, uh, the pride festival is finishing up in Halifax on that Sunday. And then, um, where would the, like the starting point for the hike? Like, I'm just curious when you say the 24th to the 29th, is it like you hike and then stay overnight? Is it like a package that way? Or is it like a, it takes place over, like you can pick it up and start at any point during those days? It's a package. So it's six days, five nights.
3: We pick you up in downtown Halifax or Halifax airport area. And every day we transport you to your hikes or the activities, whatever you'll be doing for the day and drop you off at your hotel at night and repeat. We pick you up the
1: next morning at the hotel and hike. Oh, I like that. And then food. And that would be like, they find food in the area where you're staying or is that kind of worked out? The food I provide lunches and
3: breakfasts and snacks, and then dinners would be on their own, but they're always within walking distance to a place to eat.
1: Okay, well, I love that. And okay, so I'm going to ask you a question now. And if you don't have an answer for that, you just stop me. It's okay. Um but I'm I'm curious then. So when you say like you're you're picking them up and you're you're taking them, they're hiking and they're staying at pre-arranged accommodation. Um, were you able to connect with accommodations to find out like how um how welcoming and inclusive those spaces are? Yes, I've called several
3: accommodations and asked them about their policies and if they have training and that kind of thing. So I would put people up in an accommodation that I've pre-verified.
1: I love that, that's so great. And that's really completing the whole circle, isn't it, about being intentional. And especially with tourism, because you have to think of that extra step of you're providing one service and you can be inclusive and welcoming and let people know. But when you're linking with other spaces, it's that added step that you have to take. Right. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, um, if you can share with us a link to the tour, we'll be happy to put it in the show notes for the podcast. And I, I wish you great success. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Bye. Bye. That's all the time we have today, folks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of PASIS.
0: the conversation doesn't have to stop here, though. If you would like to get in touch with us to ask us a question or share your story on a future episode, you can email us at connect at simplygoodform.com or visit us on our website at www.asys.com.